Well, Janet, you play that organ like butterflies landing on flowers. God bless you, and thank you so much. And hello, everybody out there. Here we are, another day and another time to dig into the deep word of God. So we are on March the 6th, and this is Exodus Escape, Part 19. And my broadcast announcement read like this. Over the years, there have been many attempted decommissioning, decommissionings of the gospel ship by atheists and cold hearts and lost minds, and extroverted religious and anti-religious sentries who have stood, stood guard to remove all sensation from the Bible. But this we know, primitive minds and advanced minds have lived side by side for long spans of human history. Such a state is nothing less than the presence of light and darkness at war for the minds of humankind. In the dumber-than-dumb anomalies, anomalies of human decisions, things have been done, such as World War II, or, pardon me, World War I, right after um, World War II and I, there was something that has happened in both cases in which with gases and with poisons, they put these gases and poisons in really dangerous places that would later be susceptible to human beings or by, susceptible by human beings. So, in the one case, I write about a load of over 100 tons of deadly nerve gas sent out on ships and, and made to, to sink uh, with their deadly loads into the depths of the North Sea. There is a, a modem of this kind of thinking that has been created. And it has created uh, various kinds of disastrous uh, environments. So the gospel ship that the Bible is is called to be set free. It's called to be delivered from all of these anti-Bible moves by persons that have been put into the wrong state of mind and are standing on the wrong side of God. Well, this teaching is, is so full of information I was just sharing before I got started here that there was no way that within the time given for this broadcast could I begin to cover some of the most interesting and sensational information that I so badly want to share with the people. But I will get out as much as I can. And at this point, I am estimating next week we'll start on Exodus Escape number 20, but I'm thinking that we'll probably have to go all of the way at least up to Exodus 30 and including number 30 to even begin to finish all of the real fine points and important things that I want you to really understand about ex the escape 
from Exodus or the Exodus escape from Egypt. Well, last week we talked about the flamings, and we talked about the flaming sword and how that there was this duality, the good watcher, the bad watcher, and how that they were in this flaming war to keep the way of the tree of life, but to see who could control it, who could have the the authority over that. There is still a war going on in the heavenlies between the angels for the minds of men. And there is so much that has been said about fire in the Bible. It is truly a major subject. And so much that has been said about flames of fire. And we showed people how that in Psalms 104, it talked about his ministers being a flaming fire. We understand that God is a consuming fire. And yet we also understand that if you see God, this God who is the consuming fire, this invisible God, that you would die because his energy is so pure that his vibrations would just overpower your existence as far as your physical aspect is concerned. Then we showed how that these titles that we have been using about the enchantment, the holy enchantment, how that in the Strong's Concordance, H3858, for the word flaming, that enchantment was a part of the meaning of the, fla- of the word flaming. And there are other words that I want to get into a little bit that I'll explain. But let me go on with this flame thing first. In Isaiah 10, 17, it says his holy one for a flame. We see that God's holy angels, God's holy entities have been described as a flame. We read how that in Luke 16, 24, the rich man who had rejected helping the beggar was tormented tormented by the flame. We explained how that a physical body can be affected by flames and fire, but spirits which are in the spirit world and in hell that they cannot be affected any way by fire or flame. So that this flame had to be something totally different. We showed how that when this beggar died, in Luke 
16.22, or at least we got you up to the point of being ready to show this. In Luke 16.22, when the beggar died, he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And th that is the wording, carried away. That doesn't mean that an angel or two had their arms around one around his neck and the other around his shoulders and they were lugging him to some location. But it very clearly indicates a craft, a craft that the angels were involved in being the pilots of and they took him to them to a place that was called Abraham's bosom. Now, some of these places, even though called Abraham's bosom, are kinds of purgatory. They're places where there is still purgation that is needed, purging that is needed. And we see that when Jesus, in the book of Peter, went and preached to the, the spirits that were in purgatory, so to speak, who had been disobedient all of the way back in time to, to Noah's ministry, that spirits can be bound for a long, long time in these places. But time in the spirit world is definitely different than time in the physical world. Now, as to this aspect of the beggar being carried away by the angels, that goes along with 1 Thessalonians 4.17, which says, We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the clouds. And in Matthew 24, 31, and God will send or the Lord will send his angels to gather together his elect from one end of heaven to the other. Now, I know that most people have interpreted that and translated that to mean from one end of the earth to the other. But suppose that it really doesn't mean that because there is a scripture that talks about how that there will be people on the earth, under the earth, under the sea, and in heaven, that they will be located in these places. So suppose that this is also referring to one end of the heaven to the other of a very far time into history in which humans have spread out into space and are living on other planets. They are really working on developing a fusion capsule that will act as a special kind of um, magnetic um, controlling the de designed machine that will create a plasma hot as the interior of the core of the sun.
so that they could put these miniature suns on planets anywhere and terraform them into paradises. And we're going to be interviewing a top scientist that's involved in just such a project as this uh, fusion kind of creation. Now, I mentioned on this H3858, H3858 of Strong's Concordance, which was translating the meanings of flaming, F-L-A-M-I-N-G, and how that it meant enchantment, and how that in Isaiah 10:17 he talked about his holy one for a flame. So that the idea of of holy spirit and holy enchantment that we use for our entitlement is absolutely Bible. But there's another interesting meaning that would seem almost not to fit. And it comes from the word flaming, and it means magic, and like magician and magic. You remember when Moses was before the Pharaoh, that the Pharaoh had his magicians, the magic element that was being pitted against the rod revelation that Moses had. So you can look at some extra information about that in the Strong's Concordance H for Hebrew, 2748, which is from H. Two seven four seven, and lo and behold, what does it tell us that one of the meanings of the word magic is? Well, one of the meanings of the word magic, and this is just ama amazing, is a style of writing. And the prime uh, root is to chisel, to engrave, because you remember in those days, like when the the when the the stones of the covenant the were made of the law they were like chiseled in and engraved in and so this magic which comes from the word flame which also includes the word holy spirit enchantment also means a style of writing and it being chiseled in stone now this stone and another word for stone is rock and we're going to be talking about that majorly but i don't know if we get it all out today i don't think so but then this reminds us of saint john chapter one in the beginning was the word and the word was with god in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god and the Word was made flesh. So we see this writing. And at the end of the book of, of the Gospel of St. John, if all the things were written, style of writing, all the things were written that should be written, I suppose that even the world could not contain it or comprehend it. So other parts of, of the, the Hebrew meeting meaning of the word flame that connects with this. Hebrew 
in the concordance, Strong's Concordance, H2754, which is the same as H2447. And it means to cut out and to, to hollow. And there is just all these incredible things. Last week, I also shared with you how that in H2762, that the word lattice, which comes from H2760, is connected to the meaning of a net and to entangle and to braid, which means entanglement. So that in the Bible, there is all this incredible, deep, relevant meanings that is that are a world of words and understanding all to itself. They are nothing less than the most awesome, exciting insights. Hebrews 12, 29. God is a consuming fire. Deuteronomy 4, 24. God is a consuming fire. In another scripture, the Bible says God is a spirit. We begin to understand this thing about fire and about flame as being the very essence of a term that describes God in a way that on earth it's almost impossible to understand since knowing what fire is like on earth and flames are like on earth, how that it could be relative to being a name for God. And it's only by the deepest of insight and by the Holy Ghost revelation we know in Acts seven thirty, Moses, uh, Paul is talking about how how Moses had the experience in a in a flame in the bush. Greek concordance, G four 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 two. I've already mentioned in Hebrew one seven his ministers a flame of fire. We see in Job forty one seventeen, and. Psalms 97.3, as I mentioned those last week. Those are other fire scriptures, very interesting. 1 Corinthians 3.15, saved by fire. Relative meanings to that, 1 Corinthians 3.13. And we see that then there's also the opposite, as I explained last week. Isaiah 9.18, wickedness burneth as a fire. So it is the very counter wickedness the very counter of spirituality so we have on the one side love and we have on the other side hate and people have not understood they've just accepted but they have not understood how that God could love Jacob and hate Esau even before the birth of those two persons occurred 
who were basically twins because they were born at the same time, one following the other. How that one could be said by God to be loved and the other could be said to be hated. Well, people have not understood how to translate the word hate as it would be relative to God. Because we have to look at these things contextually. And if there's any scripture in the Bible, anywhere in the Bible, that contradicts a verse, then either the verse that contradicts the verse or the verse that it contradicts is shown to not be given the right translation. Otherwise, there would instead be a harmony. So we understand it manifestly that when the Bible says that God hated Esau, that what that meant is God loved Esau less than he loved Jacob. He loved Jacob more and he loved Esau less. Now that is not violating what the Bible says that, that God is just and that he is equal to all persons. Because that goes along with explaining that people are judged on their works. Well, their works do not begin when they come out of the womb. Their works begin in the embryonic impanation, in the state in which they are collecting an incorporation of cells and DNA and genome and how that even twins can have a different DNA, different genome, different fingerprint from each other. And there is a connected ancient meaning as to why the spirit went into Jacob and another spirit went into Esau and a reason why that particular spirit went into Esau and the other spirit went into Jacob because they were fallen angels who had lived for untold ancientness of time and timelessness from generations and universes to universes. And there was a, an attire of their demeanor and their mind and their uh, constitution of person that was differentiated one from the other just like there are different levels of authority that angels have. And many times angels are compared to stars, like physical stars, of which the Bible says in Corinthians, one star differeth from another in heaven. So in the 
birth canal, even though twins are coming out. They can differ one from the other. And that difference is understood by God. And the one that has the difference of being less spiritual to the person that has the aspect of being more spiritual is the difference of more love and less love, which is a perfect description of the fire of God that is totally consuming, which means it is totally possessing and totally yearning to be possessed. So, as we begin to get into this revelation, everything from Revelations 21.8, the lake which burneth with fire, in which in which hell and the beast and the prophets and all the failed entities are cast into. Now you have all of the different kinds of hell. It's very clear in the Bible. You have upper Hades and the lower Hades, which Jesus described upper Hades as being paradise because he said this day to the thief on the cross, to one of the thief, thieves, he said this day will you be with me in paradise. And that day is when he went and preached to these persons in purgatory that had been disobedient during the time of Noah and, and, and the flood. And so that was considered a paradise. Well, exactly what is a paradise? So a paradise, when you think of it in terms of Eden, the Garden of Eden, it wasn't heaven. The Bible says that God put Adam, the man in there, to, to, to hoe the garden. It meant there were, even in the Garden of Paradise, there were weeds that popped up. And other kinds of, no doubt, insects and what have you. And he was there to take care of, of the garden. So, so it is not like the ultimate place of spiritual attainment. But it is a place that is like a bosom where you can, you can find the tree of life. And that you ultimately can get a grip on the fruit of that tree of life. And as a result of that paradise condition, reach overcoming statute, uh, overcoming statute and overcoming status. So we, we read already how that wickedness, wickedness burns as a fire, Isaiah 9, 18. We also read a different kind of fires where it says in Isaiah 24, 5, glorify ye the Lord in the fires. The fire is something you can glorify God in. Like when John the Baptist said about 
Jesus. Here comes the Lamb of God. I indeed do baptize you with water, but he whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop to latch it will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Fire. So there is the counter of love. The lesser love and the greater love. And we see that when Jesus tells, greater love has no man than he that would lay down his life for a friend. Now we know by his own words and by the Bible verification that there is greater love and then therefore has to be lesser love. And there are degrees of that greater love and lesser love. And the lake which burneth by fire or with fire, Revelations 21.8, is about the spirit of judgment. And you are going to be amazed when I reveal to you what the spirit of judgment really is. It, it just is absolutely so incredible to get into the revelation of such a thing as that, that it, it doesn't seem possible that such, such a, a revelation could not have been discovered. But when we talk about the spirit of judgment, let's look at judge, J-U-D-G-E, Hebrews 4, 3, 0, in the Strong's Concordance. Well, 430, you know what that means? The word for judge, Elohim. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> well, the Elohim means angels, God, gods, great, mighty, and judges. So the very word that means judges and is involved in judges making judgments ties in then to Hebrew 81.99 which means to punish by extension to govern to be a judge and H8200 corresponds to 81.99 to judge to be a magistrate so we got an entity a person And from H8202 and 8199, judge and the name of, of four Israelites. And 8203 from 8199 also, Jah, J-A-H, but later they say Yah, Y-A-H, had, has judged. And it's all tied into Jah or Yah has judged and I will visit their sin upon them. Exodus 32, 34. Now suddenly we begin to see something. This thing of judgment incorporates the very name of God. So when we say God's love, 
Less love is translated as hate. That's not a really good translation, but it makes the point of the counter, the opposite of love. So it is an English way of saying opposite of love. Opposite of great love is less love. And we begin to understand then wickedness burning as a fire. And at the same time, Isaiah 24, 5, to glorify ye the Lord in the fires, H217. Now we begin to understand when it talks about the spirit of judgment, like in Isaiah 4, 4 through 6, by the spirit of burning and to consume, so that there is a a spirit of burning, a spirit of judgment. And the spirit, of course, is an Elohim, a God, or is God the Almighty, or gods, the angels. And when it says the bush burned with fire in Exodus 3, 2, And we begin to see this revelation, as I shared some of it with you last week, H5572 to prick, meaning a point or a divine impulse, which would tie into the word consume, so that a consuming fire is this aspect of having divine impulse and there being different meters of it and different intensities of it and different quantities of it and different qualities of it. And you take that on down to H1197, that idea of consume and burning with fire means to be, to be. And, and the Bible says God is and always has been and always will be. And that's the revelation of the book of Revelation. That which was, that which is, and that which is to come. And we begin to understand when it talks about in Deuteronomy 4.11 and Deuteronomy 9.15 of everything from the consuming like in H1197 to the mountain burned with fire. And people think that the mountain was on fire and it might have been a volcanic eruption. And they actually can imagine people involved in Moses trying to stand up there among all the, of the, the volcanic debris coming down and all of the, the poisonous, gaseous fumes and, and people being afraid to get close to the mountain because it's a volcanic eruption when it's nothing like that at all. This whole mountain burning with fire was talking about the flames of God, the Holy Ghost and fire. And a fire of God so spiritual and so intense that the common people of Israel could not abide it. They could not see it. If they would see it and get too close to it, they would die. 
wow. There is so much absolute beauty, so much beauty. Okay, I want to get into this part. In Isaiah 40, 31, they that wait upon the Lord shall mount up with wings as an eagle. Could the pillar cloud angels of the Exodus escape have taken up a whole army of Israelites and transported them in a suspended mental state that they could not be cognizant of it? Was this an artersian? Father's house transport Zith spacecraft that was miles long and miles wide in measurement? Has this ever happened before? Is there anything recorded like this? Yes. Yes. And what did it mean in Exodus 19.4 when it said, I bared you up on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself? What did that mean? Janet Lee at the organ.
Thank you, Janet Lee. And you do remind me of the, that butterfly idea. There's that special kind of butterfly that it gets an unction and it can fly, 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 go for 2,000 miles to fulfill that unction. And you're like that with your faithfulness to the organ and playing it. Okay, here we go. Our question about this transport. We're looking at Acts 10. And we're looking at an experience that was happening to Paul. And it tells us in, the, in chapter 10, verse 9, On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh to the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. Do you not find that interesting? Usually when a person is hungry, it has an effect on your system that alerts you and keeps you awake. But something very unusual was happening by the Holy Ghost and fire. There was a consuming fire coming down upon Paul who was then actually Saul by name. And he has this trance that he falls into. And there are other terms for that trance, but we won't get into that today. And he saw heaven open. Now he's in a trance. A trance is different than a dream. A trance is different than a vision. And he saw heaven open. While we're talking cosmic, something happening in the environment of the earth, the sky. And a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to earth. Now, this is describing something that is physically created. It had an appearance, this vessel, of something that it was releasing, of something that was, it, it was connected with, that was knitted or made like a lattice, like the crosses of a lattice. And at the four corners, it was connected in such a way, and we'll see as we keep reading, and let down to earth. What did it have? What was it involved with? Well, within or wherein were all manner of four-footed beast of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, eat, kill, and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord. I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now, this tells you something about, about Peter and why Peter was chosen when he was a fisherman. 
Because at first, you know, the way Peter would talk and think and act sometimes, you get the idea of him being fairly rough. But you see that he actually was a person who had deep convictions to the laws of Moses. So he was a very uh, religious person to the, to the faith of Israel that was current at the time. Because he says, not so, not so, Lord. See, there's a lot of people that don't understand that. They don't understand having an angel or having Lord, a Lord appear, a master, which that name means master, have a master appear. And the master say, okay, rise up, Peter. He knows him by name. I want you to kill and I want you to eat. And then he doesn't say, well, are you sure that's what I'm going to do? I, 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 I'm not, I don't know. He immediately says, not so, Lord. Not so. Does this sound like anything that I have shared with you a couple times? How that, that when you receive a word, even from a spiritual side, that you have to be sure, number one, you understand what you are being told and that you comprehend what it means and that you have faith in what it means. Because if you don't have faith, then the works of whatever that is that's being revealed to you is really dead because faith without works is dead. Not so, Lord, for I have never, I have never, when I was even on those ships out in the Sea of Galilee, and I was a fisherman, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Common. Oh, the world out there is so big into what is common and what the mob is into, and what the crowd is into, and what the herd is into. But that wasn't Peter, and you can see why he was chosen, why he became such a great person under Jesus Christ. I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And that is a really big thing to say you've never eaten anything unclean. I mean, this was a dedicated man. And the voice spake unto him again the second time and said, What God has cleansed, call thou not common. Now a revelation was being given to Peter in the, in the trance. But what he was receiving was being interpreted to him through his unction of hunger. But there was a way deep, 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 deeper meaning than the hunger. But God was using that in the translational because it could tie in to this meaningful aspect that has to do with yearning.
and this was done thrice. God spoke to him the second time. He spoke to him the third time. God is willing to do that. Angels are willing to do that. You have a right to say, I don't understand that. I can't do that. I, 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 don't, I don't understand it. I don't comprehend it. I need better understanding of it. I need help. I need some proof. And he spoke to him the third time. This was done thrice and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now, they say when something is really, really important, it will be repeated at least twice. So in the 11th chapter and the 5th verse, it, it, it is written, I was in the city of Joppa. That's very interesting, the city of Joppa, because that is where... Jonah went to run away from God when he did not want to get into the ministry as God had told him, and that was to go and preach to the people of Nineveh. And so he went to, to Joppa, and he hired on a ship. And that's where he was at when the storm took place and the ship was about to sink and he was down in the lower part of the ship sleeping and then he had to admit to the, the merchants that this whole thing was because of his fault and he said, cast me into the sea, otherwise you're all going to die. And he was cast into the sea and then something happened, a fish, but there's a whole lot more to it than that. And then he went and he preached to Nineveh, Joppa. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and, and in a trance I saw a vision, a certain vessel descend as it had a great sheet and let down from heaven by four corners. Now what we have a description here is a gigantic, incredibly large parachute that is letting down a hold of a huge amount of animals and other kinds of critters of all sorts. And it is, they are being let down from a large mother ship. And they're being let down to the earth. And there's three loads of these animals that are, have come down, they descend, then it ascends, they get another load, it descends, and it unsends, they get another load, and it ascends, and it uns, it reascends. And this is because the ark that Noah built was not big enough to handle all of the animals and the critters that need to be saved which not only included the beasts that were edible, they were called the clean beast, but there was a tremendous amount of unclean beast, which some of these were very difficult to be put on the ark. And in addition to that, 
There was also the wild animals. They were wild. They were, they were wild. And it was very difficult to put them on the ark. So the angels that were controlling this whole thing, that in fact, the Bible tells us that when the, the, it was time for the rain to come and God said, now get inside the ark, that it was God's angels that closed the door of the ark and the windows of the ark. They were also involved, as we have preached in Manifest Revelation, in additionally taking animals that needed to be saved that would have been more difficult to be on the ark and redistributing them, letting them down in these parachute forms upon the earth. And the question of where, why would some of these unclean animals be, be bothered to be saved? They're not even acceptable uh, for, for sacrifices on the altar. And God is explaining in this trance, whatsoever that God decides to cleanse, do you not ever call common or unclean? What I'm doing, I know what I'm doing because there is the power of latolution, the lattice, the entanglement, the message that is in everything that exists. And there is no place that you can go to escape it, whether you go to the highest star or even make your bed in hell. David writes and says, wherever I go, the Spirit of God is there. And so, when you look at this thing, a certain vessel, it has meaning. When you look in G4632 of the, of the Strong's Greek Concordance and Dictionary and G3607, it means a sail, a sheet, which is a kind of parachute. And it's already called a vessel because it belongs, the parachute and all that's all connected as being part of this vessel. And there is the power to descend and then the power to ascend. And this can be repeated. So it is described as being an object, a thing, a kind of vessel, and airborne. Wow. Well, mount up. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with, with, as wings with eagles. There's scripture that talks about the sound of the angel's wings. And we discover that there is incredible messages involved in the in the sound of the angel wings because the angel wings also involve the craft that the angels fly and they're piloting that craft now we're going to see something very very interesting 
and very, very, very important. We're going to see how that there are just things in the Bible so deep, so profound, that it hasn't even begun to come into the minds of, of many of the Christians and people, the meanings of it. In the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk is saying something. He's saying, I heard your speech. I, 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 I heard your language defining and describing things that is so incredible. They're, be, they're beyond my understanding. And on the one side, I feel fear. On the other side, I feel elation. On the one side, I feel terror. On the other side, I feel epiphany and theophany. Is there some connection, God? Is it possible that on the one side that seems to have this wrath, that somehow that could be incorporated so that the wrath remembers mercy. Now, he was beginning to get an understanding about the Holy Ghost and fire, the, the flame of fire and the meanings of the flames of fire. He was beginning to really get an understanding. Now, let's go on. Then he says these unusual things. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. And his glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. And his brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of his hand. And there was the hiding of his power. Before him went the pestilence, and the burning coals went forth at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He beheld and drove asunder the nations. And the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills did bow. His ways are everlasting. Wow. What are we looking at here? Well, we're going to, and we may not get it all done today, but we're going to show you like this word teman is an important meaning. And it has to do with polarization. It has to do with two persons, two nations. One of the things that was said in the Bible when it described Esau and Jacob is it said that these represented two nations. Now, we have both, we have the South represented. The South can't be the South unless there is the North. 
You don't just have a South hanging out there someplace. It has to be relative, to be consequential, to be South. Therefore, it has to have a North. So now you have both that are, that are implied by the meaning of South. So you have two polarizations, and you have two, a, dual, a dualistic aspect of the North and the South. The North represents the Gentiles, which is on the side of Esau. And the South represents Israel, like in the Jews. So now, that is what the meaning of the word Teman is. And then you have the Holy One from Mount Paran. And here we are talking about something very interesting. We are talking about one of the seven wonders of the world. We are talking about a place that there was two major movies made that included this place. Indiana Jones, for one. We're talking about a place where two religions that were of a fairly good size, the Church of the World of Tomorrow by Armstrong, and teachings by the Watchtower people, where they both basically made prophecies about this place that both were false and did not come to pass because they did not understand the scripture and what it really meant. But now you're getting an opportunity to really understand. Most people do not know that when the Bible says that Paul did not go to Jerusalem and, and seek, when he got this conversion at Damascus, he said he went for several years out into the wilderness. The place that Paul went out into the wilderness is this place I'm getting ready to describe. That's where he was during those three years. That's where the angel appeared to Hagar. And gave refuge to her son. This is also where, where some of the prophets have went. This is also a place where it talks about that there are special, that there's a special place where men of wisdom, like once a year or ever so many years, they go and they meet and they conflab together. And I've preached on that in the past. And this is also about a place that it describes in the book of, of Psalms chapter 68 of this mountain place where 20,000 chariots of God came down with thousands of angels. And there's more. There's much more. Well, 
it's interesting that when you read and you study about some of the scriptures on, about this in the Bible, when you get to the 33rd chapter of Deuteronomy, they say that the information that it gives there, which was Moses speaking to his people, it says there's something about that's just not correct because it doesn't in any way confer to reality. Because this Mount Paran, they cannot find anywhere on earth because they don't know what it is. They don't know what that revelation is. So when in Habakkuk, it talks about his Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah, take away the period or the comma between Mount Paran, Selah, and let it go together like it's supposed to, and how that the original script was written. And you've got the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah, which is the city of Selah, the city of Petra, which some people say genealogy-wise is really not mountain. It's hills and really part of a valley. And yet, when they talk about it, they talk about some of the peaks being so high that they're like mountain heights. And that is the same place where the, the children of Israel took captive 10,000 people from that city and took them up to the peaks and the cliffs and cast them off alive to fall on the ragged rocks of the Sela Petra place below. All kinds of things have been going. Now, Armstrong taught in his world tomorrow that that will be the place that people would go and, and be able to live as a refuge. Wrong. That is not the revelation. This was also a place where Moses went because when the people left harnessed out of Egypt, they were divided by the meaning of the word harnessed into five groups, very similar, how that Jacob divided his family and his belongings when he left where he had been for all those years and and be earning his the 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 animal kingdom that he had and the wives that he had and then he went back to the promised land cuz God told him to and that was called Pandamaram and he left that to go back to Canaan but he knew he would run into his brother Esau and they basically met roughly in this place called Selah, which later became Petra. Well, it is so important because this Paran means the Selah Petra Valley of the Selah Rock Hills of Stone. 
And when you do liturgical history or literature history, you find places that have the name Moses involved with it, where water comes out and places like that. It's got the name Moses connected to it. Some of the, the peaks have the name Moses connected to it. It's not accidental. It's because it's part of a thing that really happened. And it's absolutely, utterly astounding. The two nations, the Tima, the North, the Gentiles, the South, the Jews, polarizations, representing the nations that would come out of Abraham, which wasn't just the children of Israel, but was far more than that. Now, let's take a look and see what happens when we expand that. When we expand that to scriptures in the Bible, and we're going to we're going to turn right now to Galatians 4. Galatians 4, verse 28 and 25. And I want to read this to you because it is absolutely an awesome thing. And people have not been able to accept it or believe it because they have not understood it. In the book of Galatians chapter 4, we see how that in verse 4, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son made of a, mo of a woman made under the law. That when Jesus was to come and when there was to be a Virgin Mary, it didn't happen until the fullness of time occurred that was on the scale when those things were allowed to be able to happen. And then further, the knowledge that, that we are receiving has a time link also. Ask you of the Lord rain in the time of latter rain. There's a former rain and a latter rain. And those are two different kinds of of rain that happen at two different kinds of time. And we see that there is to come this rain that will be like the knowledge of the Lord. And this knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. And so now we have this holy manifest revelation that is happening, which is a knowledge of the Lord that is covering the earth, the physical bodies, which described in the 17th chapter of Revelation are the rivers, the waters of the earth. And now we see in, in chapter 4, verse 24. Oh, let's start with verse 23. Oh, 22, I'm sorry. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by the bondmaid and the other by a free woman. 
But he who was the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory? For these are two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Now we discover by this word that there are two covenants and there are two Mount Sinai's. So you've got this argument, people using this scripture, one group of writers and perhaps archaeologists tried to make the case that in Saudi Arabia there was this mountain and it was the true Sinai. Well, that is not correct. No, it wasn't correct at all. But it was correct that there was a Sinai, not in Saudi Arabia, because that name wasn't even known at the time it was written, but in Arabia. And this was another Sinai. And that Sinai had to do as a place of covenant that was for the offspring of, of Esau. And it was different than the Sinai that was close to the area where Moses had the experience on another Sinai when he wandered out not far from where he was and discovered the burning bush at this site near this other Sinai. So there was two Sinais. And people don't realize that. And these are the Teman. God came from Teman, the south and the north. The two nations, the two sons, the Gentiles and the non-Gentiles. But there's covenants for both of them because they are all the sons of Abraham. Now certainly they are different than the Melchizedek sons because the Melchizedek sons refer to the 10th chapter of John which says there are other sheep that are not of this fold. Of these, this folds. So those folds of Abraham are different from the Melchizedek fold, which are the sons of that are at the father's house. Now, what do we get into here? There are just so many things. Let's just look for a minute at this idea about the dual the duality. Two Zions. Deuteronomy 4.48, Mount Zion, which is Hermon. Romans 9.33, I lay in Zion, a stumbling stone. Angels will lift thee up, lest I stash thy feet against, dash thy feet against the stone. Hebrews 12.22, come unto Mount Zion. Revelations 14.1, a lamb stood on Mount Zion. Zion, Zechariah 2.7, Deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwelleth with the daughter of Babylon. 
we see two different Zions. Lamentations 5.18, Mountains of Zion. Joel 3.20-21, Jerusalem shall dwell from generation to generation, for I will cleanse their blood, for the Lord dwelleth in Zion. It's awesome. Two great lights were made, the sun and the moon. Genesis 25-23, two nations in thy womb. Breastplates, two rings of gold, Exodus 28-23. Two tables of testament, Exodus 31-18. Two cherubim, at the mercy seat. Number 789. Exodus 28, 23. Breastplate, two rings of gold. Exodus 37, 7. Two ends of the mercy seat. The different parts of Israel when put into sticks. Two sticks, first Kings seventeen twelve. Second Kings twenty five sixteen. Two pillars that stood outside of the house of the Lord. Then there was the molten sea, second Chronicles four three, two rows, R O W S of oxen. Zechariah four eleven, two olive trees. Zechariah 4.14, two anointed ones. Matthew 18.19, if two agree on earth. The rapture. Luke 17.34, two in one bed. Luke 17.35, two women grinding at a mill. Luke 17.36, two men in a field. Hebrews 6.18, two immutable things. Revelations 2.12, Sharp sword, two edges. Revelations 11.4.2, two, two olive trees. Revelations 2, wings of a great eagle. Revelations 13.11, two horns like a lamb. So two covenants, two Mount Sinai's, two Zion's. What's going on? In Exodus 20, 21, it talks about the thick darkness where God is. Sometimes you have to go into the thick darkness to see the truth, to see Petra and the story. And I just want to read one scripture as we start to come to a point where we're going to close. And this is in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6. And the Lord our God spake unto us at Horeb, that's the, right at the point of the first Sinai, saying, you have dwelt long enough in this mount. Turn you and take your journey and go to the mount of the Amorites and into all the other places I will show you.
This is when they leave. And they go and they find the Sela City. And I have to tell you so much more all about that and how it happens and how it could happen. And this mount, which is described in Galatians. And this is all part of the revelations to Moses. And this all ties in to, to Psalm 68 and the angels over this mount, which was over that mount, Sinai. which was of a different mountain. And next week I will give you the name of that mountain and show you how that it was relative in its location to the, to the Sila Petra location and how beautiful that whole story was and is. May God bless you. Janet Lee.